You know, as I, as I stand here and look around the hall, I don't see any evil people. I don't see anyone who is intent on harming others. I don't see any criminals. I don't see any bad people. I'm basically seeing a hall full of good people. And I'm guessing that all of you are in full agreement with my assessment. Oh, we are in a hall full of people who are basically good. But the good people, like us, need to repent. Do we need to repent? And that's really the question I'd like to wrestle with us this morning. Do good people need to repent? Is God happy with good, within courts people like us? Is God satisfied with the good lives we live, we all lead. And that's really the core of the sermon today. If this is your first time in a church, if you're still early uh, to this whole coming to the church thing, or if you are who we would call an explorer, someone who's checking Jesus out, someone who's curious, trying to understand who Jesus really is, I really hope this talk will help us appreciate who Jesus is and what he has done for us. I think this talk may also help you think through your priorities in life. For those of us who are believers and followers of Jesus, I'm hoping this sermon will help us understand sin better and therefore appreciate Jesus better. This talk is actually the 16th in the series of sermons on the book of Daniel in the Bible. And in this series, we are now in the third week and last week of looking at a specific prayer that Daniel prayed in, um, uh, in one of the chapters. Before we dive into this, allow me to just give us a quick one-minute background. So if you've never been to church before, never read the Bible, you can still track uh, with what we're going to do the next 30 minutes or so. When Daniel was in his early teens, he was taken a captive or a prisoner of war from Jerusalem to Babylon. He served under many kings in Babylon till he died close to perhaps 90 years of age. And the incident that we've been spending three weeks on happened under a king named Darius. Now this king, Darius, issued a command that no one is to pray to any god. For 30 days, everybody should pray only to King Darius. That's what the command said. But Daniel defied this and prayed publicly to the God of the Bible. This incident is outlined for us in Daniel chapter 6, which is what we've been looking at. And the broad nature, uh, the reason and the content of this prayer is outlined for us in Daniel chapter 9. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. We've been spending three weeks on this prayer. The first week we saw that this was a prayer of defiance. The second week we saw this was a prayer of purpose. And today we're going to see that this was a prayer of repentance. Let's read the Bible passage that we're going to be exploring this morning. This is Daniel chapter 9. Uh, we're going to be looking at the entire chapter, but I'm going to read out only a small portion for us. I'm going to be reading verses 20 to 24. It'll come up on the screen for us. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. 
He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, Oh, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out. I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. This is God's word. In today's sermon, we're going to be focusing predominantly on one phrase in verse 24. To finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity. Allow me to pray for us. Spirit of God, even as we sung, we know that true freedom comes when we see our sin, repent, believe in Jesus, and obey him. And so we pray, even as you've placed us in our hearts the desire to do all of this, would you also fill every one of us with the power to do all of this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'd like to draw just two things for us from this passage. First, the nature of human sinfulness. And second, the nature of God's forgiveness. The nature of human sinfulness and the nature of God's forgiveness. Let's move into the first thing we're looking at, the nature of human sinfulness. Let's start with Daniel here. You know, many years ago when I first read this passage, I was quite surprised that Daniel is actually repenting here. Look at his groans of repentance. Some more verses which we didn't read, but from chapter 9, verse 3. It'll come up for us on the screen. Then I turn my face to the Lord, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy. Verse 4. Oh Lord, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. Verse 20. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel. So Daniel was not just repenting for the sins of his people, he was also repenting for his sin. This verse that we just read explicitly tells us Daniel is repenting also for his own sinfulness. We walked through 15 sermons on the first six chapters of Daniel. Do any of us remember any time when Daniel sinned or acted wickedly or rebelled or broke God's commands or at least grumbled at where God had placed him? Not at all. And yet, look at the poignant and and heart-wrenching words of Daniel's prayer we just read in the chapter 9. Daniel is repenting from his heart. But why did a good man like Daniel, need to repent. Let's take a quick look at Daniel's life so far. He was taken a prisoner in his early teens, taken into exile away from his hometown of Jerusalem into Babylon. He did not grumble. He was forced to convert to Babylonian culture. He was given a new name. He was forced to learn all the Babylonian literature. But yet he stood his ground to worship the God of the Bible. He did not give in to the pressures. He was sentenced to death along with the other wise men when nobody could interpret the king's dream. But Daniel wrestled with God in prayer 
and interpreted that dream. And here and now when King Darius threatens to throw him to the den of lions, if he prays to his God, he still holds his ground and publicly prays to the God of the Bible. So on the face of it, Daniel did no wrong. He did everything well. And yet, here he is repenting from the depths of his heart and begging God for mercy for himself and his people. Why was a good man like Daniel repenting? That's really what we're wrestling with this morning. Daniel, allow me to submit. Daniel was led to repentance because he was seeing sin from God's point of view, not from man's point of view. Sin looks very different when we learn to see it from God's perspective and not from ours. And this passage, and more particularly the one phrase we're going to be looking at in detail this morning, invites us to look at sin from God's perspective. Verse 24, to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity. Allow me to draw our attention to these three words, transgression, sin, iniquity. These three words may seem very similar. The question is, is the Bible using these three words to say the same thing? Or is it using three different words to communicate three very different ideas? I think it's the latter. The Bible is using three very different words to communicate three very different ideas of sin, human sinfulness to us. The problem here, at least with two of these three words, is that these are not contemporary words. I mean, who uses iniquity and transgression in our conversations this, you know, this day and age? You know, when you fight with someone, uh, do you go up to them and say, you are transgressing against me? No, we are more likely to say, you're pissing me off. That's, that's how we speak. Or if someone is being wrong, uh, we don't tell them, you are full of iniquity. We just look at them in the eye and say, you're full of S. I'm, I'm not going to complete that, complete that word for us. You know, because the words transgression and iniquity are not contemporary words, uh, we just assume they have the same meaning as the word sin. And therefore, we miss the nuances and we actually miss the depth of sin that the Bible is trying to communicate to us here. Transgression, sin iniquity three very different words and i'm going to take each of them and, and try to unpack the meaning of each of these words a little bit for us today and i'm doing this for a reason these three words are very important this is not the only place in the bible where these three words are being woven together to present us a picture of the sum total of human sinfulness the bible also tells us the story of a great king named David. Christ Jesus descended from the line of David. David was a great king. But like most of us, like all of us, he also messed up big time. David committed adultery with his commander's wife and he got her pregnant. And, when he, and then he got the commander killed so he could marry his wife. But David repented deeply. 
His wheel of repentance is recorded for us in Psalm 51. Allow me to read that Psalm that's going to connect in to the three words that we are looking at this morning. Psalm 51 verses 1 and 2. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Here we see those three very words all over again. Transgression, sin, iniquity. Again, David is not praying the same thing over and over again. He's praying three very distinct things. Let's try and understand what these three words really mean. And even if you're an explorer of Jesus, allow me to say that this is going to be meaningful even to you. The first word we're looking at is the word iniquity. And this word comes from the Hebrew root word, awa. And awa really means twisted out of shape. Twisted out of shape. Uh, imagine your shoulder bone. It's supposed to sit in its socket. But it's, if it slips out of its socket and can, refuses to go back into the so- socket, if that shoulder bone remains out of the socket, it has been twisted out of shape. It has become distorted the original design has been corrupted. And such twisting out of shape of human nature is what the Bible describes when it uses the word awa or iniquity. The illustration of the the shoulder bone and the socket I used is a physical twisting out of shape, a physical distortion. Now, please imagine with me the twisting out of shape of our emotions. Let's take the emotion of impatience. I dearly love my wife and my two children. It gives, me, it gives me great joy to love them, nurture them, serve them, and to be there for them always. But as my wife will readily agree, I'm sure, there are several times I get really impatient with them for no fault of ours, of theirs. Uh, I'm not talking about reasonable impatience here. You know, there are times in a family where there are valid reasons to get impatient. I'm talking about unreasonable impatience here. Don't we all struggle with things like this? Or, or am I the only sinner here? Why is a good person like me, good within courts, being unreasonably impatient with the ones that I love? It's because... My emotions are also awa. My emotions are also twisted out of shape. My very emotional being is awa. It is damaged within. There is a structural damage within. And that's why I'm being unreasonably impatient. And this biblical understanding of our sinfulness as awa tells us That it's not just our emotions that are twisted out of shape. Our thinking is twisted out of shape. And because our thinking is twisted out of shape, our beliefs are twisted out of shape. And because our beliefs are twisted out of shape, our behavior is also twisted out of shape. Let me take this this concept of iniquity or awa, twisted out of shape, one step further, moving from individual implications to communal implications. I'm sure most of us have experienced this. Why do a man and woman who love each other deeply still fight with and hurt hurt each other? Why is it that 
couples who've been married for 25 years or, or someone who has just fallen in love and, and seeing each other for two months, why is it that both these groups of people still fight with each other and often hurt each other? Because both of us are awa. We were, we were designed to fit with each other perfectly. We were both designed with a perfect shape. But we are now, both of us, awa. We are both twisted out of shape. And so we just can't fit together. And so we fight and, e- and hurt each other. Our awa iniquity is the reason we experience friction in our families, in our workplaces, in our cities, in our countries, in our world, and even in our church. This is the biblical idea of iniquity, awa, being twisted out of shape. And this is very helpful in deepening our understanding of sin. When we truly understand that we are awa, or twisted out of shape, we realize that sin is not just the wrong we do, but sin is the wrong we are. Let that sink in. Let it truly deeply sink in. Sin, the biblical definition of sin through the word awa or iniquity, is not just the wrong we do, but the wrong we are. Deep inside, we were made perfect. We've all been twisted out of shape. You see, iniquity is not an action. It's a state of being. We all think of sin as actions that we do. But I believe God is calling us to see sin deeper. It's not an action. It's a state of being. Before sin takes the form of an action, it is present in the very core of our existence. Our iniquity, twisted out of shape, flawed, faulty, structural design damage. And so the Bible is using the word iniquity to help us see how deep human sinfulness really is. If you and I, we think sometimes we are really bad because of our actions, we haven't seen anything yet. Deep inside our actions, our very being is sinful. The second word that the Bible calls us to understand in this passage deeper is um, the word sin itself. Remember, we're looking at three words, iniquity, sin, transgression. So the word sin in this trio of words comes from the Hebrew word hata, and the C is silent there, hata. While we understand sin as doing something wrong or disobeying God, which it is, the word hata actually offers us a more nuanced understanding of sin. The word sin, translated from the Hebrew word hata, actually means missing the mark. Missing God's mark. Let me give us an illustration to to understand this. Imagine a guitar student, a teacher and a student. The guitar teacher uh, comes for a lesson and, and teaches the student a few chords and asks the student to practice it for 15 minutes every day. And when the teacher comes back for the next class the next week, he finds the student hasn't practiced at all, not even for one day. In other words, the student has done hata. He has missed the mark. And the teacher could say, the student didn't, didn't practice, whatever, 
and move on. That would be indifference. And that indifference would harm the student. So a good teacher will always sit the student down and gently advise and encourage the student. Let's take this illustration one step further. Let's assume the student goes on to become a very good guitar player, but he hardly ever plays, plays the guitar. He hardly ever uses the talent that he has. And any good teacher who loves his student and who loves the art is going to feel grieved that the student is wasting his talent or not using it well. The student here has missed the mark or done hatha or sinned. I guess we're all probably thinking that not practicing or not playing the guitar is hardly sinful. Uh, who does it hurt? But remember that I used the guitar lessons only as an illustration. In the illustration, the guitar was supposed to represent our life. And so let's set the guitar aside and let's consider our lives. Are we living our lives to the full potential that God's given each of us? Or, like the lazy student, are we not being diligent enough? You know, if you're new to church and exploring Jesus, uh, you probably walked into <laughs> New City this morning believing that you are a good person. You are, right? <laughs> you are. You are. But would you allow me? Would you, would you allow me to just, just, just help you think this through just a little bit? Let me ask you honestly, are you living up to your full potential? I mean, forget God judging you. Are you happy with the life you're leading? Do, would you consider yourself and say, I've been leading a perfect life, or are there areas in your life where you are disappointed with yourself? If you are disappointed with yourself, which I'm sure is the case with all of us, how can we imagine that God's going to be perfectly satisfied with us? How can we imagine that we are perfectly satisfying God? Are you living your life to your full God-given potential? And if you're not living your life to your God-given potential, aren't you sinning against yourself? Aren't you sins who can be blessed by the gifts and the talents that God has given you? Aren't you sinning against God himself who has given you all those talents? Aren't you hata? Aren't you missing the mark? You know, as Christians, I think we've failed the world miserably in, in communicating what sin really is. You know, we've just taken a few things which we call sin and we beat others up with that just to show we are better than them. No, we are not. We are not. Except for the finished work of Christ on the cross, which we contributed nothing to, Christians are no better than others. You know, we are all programmed to see sin only as wrongdoing. But the Hebrew word hata actually helps us see sin as not just doing bad things, but, doing, but not doing the good things that we ought to be doing. Sin is not just doing bad things. The word hatha helps us understand that not doing the good things we are supposed to be doing is also sin. And so when we fail to live up to the full potential God has given us, that is hatha. 
missing the mark are our sin. And so when good people, good within courts like us, when we learn to understand that sin is also hata or missing the mark, that it is failing God and failing ourselves, we're beginning, just beginning to grasp the full depth of human sinfulness. The Hebrew word hata helps us to understand that sin is not only commission, but sin is also omission. Sins of commission is doing bad things. Sins of omission is doing, is not doing the good things we ought to be doing. Look at your life last week. I'm looking at mine. I can see good things I should have done, but I haven't done. And I'm sure you'll find a few too in your own lives. That's the second word, second dimension of sin that I wanted to unpack for us. The third dimension of sin the Bible unpacks for us is the most obvious one. The word transgression. You're looking at three words. Iniquity, sin, transgression. The Hebrew word for transgression is the word pasha. This means willful rebellion, deliberate sin. This is knowing that something is wrong or bad, whatever our standard of morality, knowing something is bad and still doing it. I don't think I need to explain and unpack this. We all know what this is. We all do this. But here's the point I've been laboring on. When we think of sin, we think of sin mostly as pasha, which is willful disobedience, and we forget or ignore or overlook or don't understand even that sin is also our a deep being twisted out of shape and sin is also hata, we're missing the mark. And that's why the Bible is using these three words to draw us deeper into a deeper understanding of how ugly, how bad sin really is. Daniel was a good man. But he still repented. He still felt the deep need to repent because he learned to see sin from God's perspective and not from his own. And that's why Daniel is praying in this chapter. So if you read through chapter 9, which we won't for want of time, you will see Daniel hitting, in each, hitting on each of these three themes we've discussed so far. Daniel is praying, Oh Lord, I am our I am twisted out of shape. My emotions are distorted. My relationships are distorted. Forgive me, Lord. Heal me. Daniel is praying, I am Hatta, Lord. I have missed the mark. I am not doing the good things I'm supposed to be doing. No way I can satisfy you. No way I can meet your benchmarks. Forgive me, Lord. Heal me. Daniel is praying, Oh Lord, I am Pasha. I'm in a state of rebellion against you. Forgive me. Heal me. The application I have for us is, shouldn't we be praying these prayers too? Every single day. Did we experience this conviction this past week? Did we experience this deep 
beautiful repentance this past week. I just need to feel the need for a quick caveat before we move on with the sermon. Uh, I want to assure all of you that I am not a Hebrew scholar, and I definitely don't want to come across as one. And so I would never have figured out the Hebrew words of these three words except for a friend of mine who kind of helped me see this. Sure, I did all the, the unpacking and the fleshing out, but, but it was he uh, who, who gave me the key to understand uh, the, the, the Hebrew words, meaning words behind these three, three words. So I need to give credit where it's due. I know I began this sermon on, on repentance, but so far the sermon has actually turned out to be an exposition of human sinfulness. An exposition, if I may, of your sinfulness and mine. And I've done this intentionally for a good reason. Why have I labored so much to help us see sin in its full, bigger, and biblical perspective? I've done this for a reason. Here's the reason. We are all inclined to re-engineer our definition of sin and morality to suit our so-called strengths. We are all inclined to re-engineer the definition of sin so that we can continue to sin without feeling guilty for it. That's your default posture and mine. We are all inclined to re-engineer the definition of morality so we can justify the sin we are doing. And as I was reflecting on this in my time of preparation, I I began to see the sins that I justify, you know, just to give you a a, a little slice of of, of my own struggles. Um, uh, My dad was born in the army, I mean, was, was worked in the army, so from a very early age, he taught me to be punctual. Now, that's one of my so-called strengths. Um, but uh, deep inside, I'm actually a very self-centered person, and I just find a way. I don't know how I do it, but I do it. I manage it every single time of making myself the center of every conversation or center of every thought. That's, that's my sinfulness. And so the way I re-engineer my morality and the way I re-engineer my definition of morality on sin is I have somehow convinced myself to believe that punctuality is a great virtue and I'm really good at it. And so I feel good about myself, but I've been, I kind of delude myself very often to ignore my deep self-centeredness. And so I'm happy trying to meet the small standard of punctuality. Even that I'm not very good of late. I haven't been very good of, of late. And so the need to have, the need to define sin and morality, not by our standards, not by our definition, but by the true, bigger, and complete biblical perspective is so important. Because if we do not understand sin from a biblical perspective, we will never feel the need for, to repent. And if we never feel, see our sin, if we never feel the need to repent, why do we need Jesus in our lives? We're going to walk away from Jesus if we don't see our sin. And so I'm learning that I need to see that I am Awa. I am twisted out of shape. I am Hatta. I am missing the mark. I need to see that I am Pasha. I'm willfully rebelling 
against God. I hope I've managed to make all of you feel really bad. If this is who we are, what hope do we have? And the answer is right here in this passage. And that brings us to the second and the last thing that I'd like to draw for us from the passage and we'll close in about seven, eight minutes or so. The nature of God's forgiveness. That's the second thing we are drawing from this passage. The nature of God's forgiveness. If we are so bad, we are, I can assure all of us. What hope do we have? And the answer is right here in the book of Daniel, chapter 9, verses 24 to 26. It's a, it's a complex passage. It talks about Christ to come. It talks about transgression, sin, and iniquity being put to an end. Allow me to read that. Seven, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know and understand this from the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. After 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and have nothing. This is a pretty complex prophecy, and we could spend several weeks uh, several weeks because I need to understand it deeply enough fully first. Uh, but let me share what is very clear, what is very obvious, very evident for us from the passage. This passage is telling us that the iniquity, sin, and transgression of men and women will be put to an end and full righteousness established when the anointed one is put to death. Jesus Christ, the sinless son of God, who was punished to death on the cross for all of your sins and mine. Jesus, this Jesus that we sung about this morning, this Jesus is the anointed one who died and rose again to bring righteousness to us. Isaiah, along with Daniel, another Old Testament prophet, says this even more clearly in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. But he, Christ Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions, for our pasha. He was crushed for our iniquities, for our awa. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We are made whole because God himself was broken to atone for our sins. Jesus was pierced for our pasha. Jesus was crushed for our awa. Jesus was crucified to death for our hata. This is the beauty of the gospel. If you're an explorer, still trying to understand who Jesus is, this is who Jesus is. This is God himself broken for men. This is God himself punished for your sins and mine. God himself, the son of God. God the father punishing and rejecting Christ Jesus, his son, so that we can be accepted and made whole. 
I want to close with a couple of quick thoughts. Will this merely remain Daniel's prayer of repentance or are we going to make it our prayer of repentance this morning? Can we see our awa this morning? Can we see that sin is not just what we do, but sin is who we are. We are twisted, out of shape, every one of us without exception. Can we see our hata in every single area in our lives where each of us, we are missing God's mark? Can we see our pasha? We are all willfully rebelling against God. It is in Christ Jesus and only in Christ Jesus that we can find forgiveness and healing for all of these. Let us pray. Spirit of God, we acknowledge that uh, salvation is not knowledge, but experience. We acknowledge that the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done for us, is not just a fact. It's not just knowledge, but it is power. And we acknowledge that we can never experience this power unless you apply it in our hearts. And so we beg you, Lord, this morning, as we move into the Lord's Supper, as we consider what Christ Jesus did for us, Lord, would you, Lord, would you help us? Would you send your Holy Spirit? Would you call your Holy Spirit who's living in us to convict us and to help us experience the power of the gospel, the power of who Jesus is and what he has done for us? We worship you. Thank you. Thank you for what you've done for us, Lord Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you took all of this upon yourself and you were punished. You took on God's holy and just wrath upon yourself so that we don't need to face those wrath, that wrath, that we can be forgiven and not just forgiven, but also transformed and one day be transformed eventually into the image and the likeness of Christ Jesus himself. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.